Good morning, brothers and sisters. Turn with me this morning to the book of Judges. Book of Judges. Last week, uh, my brother David uh, covered the farewell speech of Joshua. And this morning, we will begin the book of Judges, but before we delve into the introduction of the book of Judges, um, I guess I would like to give you a little bit of an outline or an overview of the book of Judges, just to uh, maybe whet your appetite. Okay, The, the book of Judges, um, as you're familiar, comes after the book of Joshua. Uh, but when we say Judges, uh, it's not in what, the way we understand Judges today. When we, uh, when we ask the children, uh, what, who is a judge? They think it's a person who wears a robe and stands behind a bench and, and uh, ha- has a wooden mallet, right? Uh, these judges obviously are not, uh, are not those kinds of judges, even though they are judicial judges as well. Right? These are, these are uh, generals, army generals. These are, are, are war heroes uh, that lead the people from bondage, from oppression into uh, Victory, right? Um, and so the book of Judges is the book concerning the judges of Israel. After Joshua passed away, and we're going to read that in a little bit, uh, the Lord didn't uh, have a successor for Joshua, right? Remember when, jo- when, when Moses was about to pass away, uh, Moses' uh, successor was Joshua, and Joshua took Moses' place as, as leader of the whole tribe, of the, uh, all the tribes of the children of Israel. But here you have, in the book of Judges, Joshua passing away, and now there is no one single figure, right? And the, and the children of Israel were, were now to disperse in the land and to possess the land, right? Uh, but there was not one single figure. But, but what happened over and over in, in the cycle of the judges, it's a sad story of the judges, is that the people would forget the Lord God, forget what the, He had done for them, and, and they would begin to, to uh, uh, worship idols and play the harlot, as, as, it, as it were, with other gods, and God would would allow these uh, outside forces to come and oppress them, and in bo- and and take them under bondage, and and uh, and the people would would turn then turn back to God and, and and cry to the Lord, and the Lord would have mercy upon the people, right? And the Lord would raise a judge, and a judge would come up, and and these judges were from different parts, from different tribes, right? One of the unique things about judges is that when we're talking about a judge, the judge delivered a tribe or delivered a, a couple of tribes in a specific area. We're not talking about the entire children of Israel, right? The judges were in different regions. Gideon was to the north uh, along with Barak, while, while we have uh, uh, Bar- uh, uh, Deborah and, and, and Ehud and so forth in the south, and we have Jephthah in the west and so forth. Different uh, judges at different times in different places. The only judge that ever was a judge to the, the entirety of the nation, was, was the last judge, which was Samuel, right? Um, so there's a little background on judges. Uh, now, as far as the breakdown of the book, uh, the, the book of Judges starts off with two introductions. In, in Judges chapter 1, all the way to Judges chapter 2, verse 5, we have the first introduction, and it's what we call a historical introduction. Now, bear with me. I know this, this is kind of a lot of information. It seems kind of dry, but there is a lot of value in it. The first introduction is a historical introduction. It, it gives us the historical details as 
Joshua passed away and the children of Israel went about possessing the land, right? And their victories and in their failures as well. And then from, uh, from Judges chapter 2 verse 6 all the way to the end of, of chapter 2, or, uh, we have what we call the prophetic introduction. The writer to the book of Judges is going to tell us what is going to happen in the book of Judges. He's going to tell us what is the cycle of the book of Judges, what's going to happen over and over, and we'll touch that briefly. After that, we have, generally we have seven major judges in the book of Judges. Uh, there, there's, there's the first three, there's Gideon in the middle, and then there's the last three. And one of the sad stories of the Judges is that in the cycles of the Judges, there is disobedience, then the Lord hands them over, and, and, and they're disciplined. And after they're disciplined, the children repent and turn to the Lord, and the Lord raises a judge and delivers them. That every time this cycle repeats over and over again, every time it repeats, the corruption and the sin of the children gets a little bit worse. And gets a little bit worse. And so by the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, it's, 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 an, it's a complete disaster. Let me give you an example. The first judge we come across in the, in the book of Judges is a man uh, by the name Othniel. You see, the, uh, the children of Israel didn't, didn't, uh, didn't uh, take care of the Canaanites, and so they were in the land with them. And so the, the children of Israel beginning to, to intermarry with the Canaanites. And along with the intermarrying, the, 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 the wives and the sons of the Canaanites began to draw the hearts of the children of Israel away from the Lord God, and they began to worship Baal and the Ashtaroth. And the Lord allowed Mesopotamia to come in and oppress the people. And they oppressed the people for a time. And the people turned back to the Lord in repentance and cried to the Lord. And the Lord raised a judge named Othniel. Now, what made Othniel uniquely qualified to be a judge was his wife. For you know, Othniel was, was, was Caleb's nephew. And we, we, we read about the account of, of Othniel, how he, he, he took the charge of Caleb. Caleb said, said to any of the young men, now remember, that Caleb was an old man. For, for the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, you, you're old in years. And guess who was as old as, Caleb, as Joshua? Caleb was. And Caleb says, Caleb says to the young man, Young man, whoever takes this city, Kiriath Sefer, I will give my daughter to wed. And Othniel took a look at, at Caleb's daughter. And then took a look, take a look at that city on the mountain and said, ah, she's worth that city. And he conquered it. And the Lord blessed Othniel with a wife, a wonderful wife. And so the Lord used Othniel to, to judge the people and to, and, to, and to expel Mesopotamia out of the land. And it's a stark contrast. And I say, when I say we see the deg- the, the, how it degrades time and time again, we compare the first Judge Othniel, and we compare the last judge who was Samson in the book of Judges. And what, 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 whatever sin the children of Israel did in the first judge, which they intermarried with the Canaanites, here we have the last judge, Samson, and he is very, he's guilty of the very same sin which got Israel in trouble in the first place, right? Here we have Samson, a great man of strength, a great man of faith, and, and the first thing he says to his dad, the first words recorded in Scripture about Samson says, I have seen a woman. And it was a Philistine woman. And you see that how the book of Judges just slowly degrades. Slowly corrupts. 
And at the end of the chapter, we have seven, judges, seven major judges, some minor judges in between. At the end of the chapter, you have two, two last stories, two last, uh, we like to call them epilogues, right? Two very dark stories. One of Micah, the Levite, who, who became a priest unto an idol. And the Danites and the Danite tribe took him and, and instituted this whole system of idolatry in the north. And next you have the story of, of the concubine who was, who was killed. And, and, and the tribal assembly got together to deal with this issue and they, 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 they relied upon their own wisdom and so forth. These two epilogues in the end of the book dictate to us or tell us the moral circumstance of this time of the judges. The book of the judges can be, can be, can be summarized in, in one verse. And it's in chapter 17, verse 6. It says that there was no king in Israel at this time and everyone did what was right. In their own eyes. And we see this dark chapter in the history of the children of Israel. And I will tell you, and I will testify to you, that it also shows to us immensely the grace and mercy of our Lord and God. Yes, it shows the, the rebellion and the, uh, of men and, the, and how they just keep turning and turning from the living God and from His goodness and His kindness and keep turning and whoring after idols. And the Lord patiently waits and disciplines His children. And when they turn to repent, He graciously sends somebody to deliver them time and time again. We see God's long-suffering in this book. It's wonderful and beautiful to see His patience. You know, the book of Judges has, has men who are judges, but they're, they're, by our standard, tyrants. Yet God used these men. Yet these men displayed very little faith, yet God, God would, would have patience with these men. And, and the reason I say this, if you turn to, to Hebrews 11, you don't have to turn there, but there in this, in this great chapter of the hall of faith we like to call, right? And there it goes from the beginning, naming these men of great faith and how the Lord used their faith, right? And it says that this great host of people are witnesses to you and I. They're witnesses to you and I. In what sense? They're not eyewitnesses of what you would do. They testify to you and I of what type of faith it takes to serve the living God in whatever circumstances they were in. And let me tell you, out of all the judges that are in this book... There's but three that are named there. And the three that are named, I tell you, those weren't the ones I would pick. For in that list, you, you, you have Jephthah. Jephthah was a troubled man. A, a, a so-called judge of Israel who ends up killing his own people. Yet the Lord said this man had faith. And the other is Samson. Now, I, I tell you this, and I, and I say this carefully because I may have to apologize to these men in heaven. But these men had faith. All, with all their shortcomings and all their mistakes and all their flaws, these men had faith in difficult times. And the Lord used them and utilized them. And I pray that just as the Lord would recognize these men, maybe one day the Lord would recognize my simple faith and my feeble faith. There's a lot of things we can learn from this book of Judges. 
We can look to Judges and we can learn about the warfare, the tactics. How, you see, Joshua went into the land wholly unified with all the children of Israel. They went in and they, and, they, and, they, and they removed the enemy as a whole, right? But every time they would go out in a journey to conquest the land, they would always come back and return to Gilgal, right? That was base camp. We, we covered this, right? In the book of Joshua, there when they crossed the, the, the Jordan River, they, 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 they planted themselves there with the ark and all the people at Gilgal, a place of blessing. That's where the, 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 the angel of the Lord appeared unto, unto Joshua, or did he not? With the sword drawn, and Joshua says to him, Are you with us or against us? And he says, Neither. I am the, I mean the commander of the Lord's army, right? It was there that the children of Israel would go out and fight and come back, back and forth. But when the children of Israel were done with all the fighting, and Joshua passes away, and we're going to read that Joshua sends the people out, which it, all that took time. When the children of Israel went out to possess the land, they found squatters in their land. You see, the people that had escaped their, their sword, the people that had run away, they, they had all slowly come back and rebuilt the cities. They had, they had trenched in the same location they had fought. And so the children of Israel would have to go out and fight. And I say all this to tell you this. You and I are at war, aren't we? Now, I, have to do, I do have to pause and clarify, be very clear. We don't fight a physical war. In fact, Jesus prohibited believers to pick up arms and fight. Our war is not a physical battle. It's actually a sad history of the church. When men took up the Word of God and, 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 and used God's banner to fight a physical battle. The atrocities that were done in the name of Jesus Christ with men and their delusions because they thought that they themselves were a, a nation of God and that they were to possess the Holy Land. From the beginning, from Constantine himself, when he put, his, he put a, a cross on his shield and a cross on his banners and went to conquer in the name of Jesus Christ. to the Crusades and so forth, the atrocities and the crimes made under the name of Jesus Christ are atrocious. When the Lord Himself would tell Peter there in the garden, when the, when, when the, the horde of soldiers would come to pick up the Lord, and the Lord willingly gave Himself to them, and Peter would draw his sword and cut the ear of this priest, the Lord would stop Peter and say, Peter, put your sword away. And when Pilate would, 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 would ask Jesus, are you a king? What kind of king are you? Jesus replies to him and says what? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. For if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would fight. So when we're talking about the book of Judges and applying the, 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 the tactics and, the, and the, the war aspect of the, we're not talking about a physical battle. We're talking about what? A spiritual battle. You know, Paul exhorted Timothy time and time again in his epistle, right? He said, Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight. I want you to fight the good war, the good battle of the faith. Our battle is not one of a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. So there's a lot we can glean from these chapters concerning 
our personal life, right? Our personal walk today. And so it, in that light, I would like to, like, at least for now, pick in, in, in the beginning here and read a couple of verses and learn from the children of Israel and learn from this time of judges. I hope that wasn't too difficult and tedious for you. I know it's a lot of information. So let's do this. Let, let's pick up in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read a, a couple selected verses. Uh, I'm sorry, not Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be the first to go out against the Canaanites and fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into, into his hands. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, uh, uh, I'm sorry, to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into his hands, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. All right? So here we are. Here we have this scene, right? Joshua, after his great farewell speech, in the ripe old age of 110, I believe, passed away. And now the children of Israel are standing around, looking at themselves and saying, what's next? Now, I, I will commend them. For they began correctly. They turned to the Lord and said, Lord, who shall go first? It's no longer we're all going together as a unified army and we're going to go and defeat the enemy. Now we're each individual, each individual tribe is to go and lay hold of their land. They conquered the land. Now they need to lay possession, take hold of it. And the Lord said, Judah, you should go first. And so Judah goes first. Now, we learn, obviously, there that Judah turns to Simeon, his brother, and says, you come with me and help me fight, and I'll help you fight in your territory. Now, uh, some scholars will sit there and, and, and look down upon Judah and say, Judah didn't have the faith. The Lord said, I have given the Canaanites into your hand. Judah should have had enough faith to go on his own. Now, that, that, that may be true. But at the same time, you have to be reasonable, I think. For, for, for the, the territory in which Simeon was allotted was right in the middle of Judah's territory. And it would, to me, it would make logical sense for Judah and Simeon to go together and possess that territory, for they were closely linked together. And we read in the, in the, in the consequent verses that the Lord gave them the victory. It wasn't the, the combined efforts or the, the confederacy of, of, of Judah and Simeon that, that, that gained the victory. It was the Lord that gave them the victory. And we see this, this great beginning to this chapter. They were on the right place. They were taking the right steps. They were doing the right things. And very slowly begins to fall apart. If you look down, uh, if you look down and skip down all the way to verse 17. I'm sorry, not verse 17. In verse 21, right? If verses 1 through uh, 20 is the conquest of Judah. And Judah and Simeon go and, and conquer the land. They conquer different, different uh, cities and different tribes and villages. And, and, and then Judah goes with Simeon and conquers their territory and so forth. And there's victory there, right? Verse 21, it says, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites, but inhabited Jerusalem. Who inhabited Jer Jerusalem? So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. So we have, we, we have Judah and Simeon going out and possessing the land and they're having great victory. Next comes Benjamin. And, and, and I, we don't know whether they tried or didn't try. 
But they just kind of moved right in alongside the Jebusites. And it began began to send a trend. The other tribe that's attributed to having some sense of victory is the tribe of Joseph. They have have some victory. They fought and they possessed some portion of the land there in verse 22. But if you look overall, the rest of the tribes, verse 27, it says, However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of the land. Verse 29 says, Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt at, at Gezer. Verse 30, nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants at Kitron. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Achog. Uh, verse 33, nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Verse 34, and the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. Did you catch that? So we have the slow deterioration of the children of Israel. They started well, and here each tribe, one by one, they began to go and try to possess the land, and they, uh, you know, they're they're nice people. I don't see why we need to kick them out. Or, oh, man, their daughters are beautiful. And they're really not that bad people. They're farmers like we are. They know how to work the ground. Yes, they have some weird customs with with an idol and stuff like that, but overall, they're good people. And one by one, each tribe would, would, would go in and, and, and kind of flounder in the word of the Lord, didn't it? Now, I, I, I have to be fair, right? Some of them did, did not drive them out, but he's, it says that they would put him under tribute. He would take the inhabitants of the land and says, if they're going to remain in the land, you're going to be slaves to us. You're going to be servants to us, right? Now, you may say, well, that, 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 that's, that's good, right? That is good, but that's not what the Lord commanded. That's not what the Lord commanded. And you say, what's all this have to do with me? Brothers and sisters, in our Christian walk, and in in our good walk, and in in our good fight in this life, when we're dealing with sin in our lives, when we're dealing with things that drive us to sins, we need to do as the Lord commands, to cut it out. To put it completely out. There can never be a a, a lingering, a holding on of it. A compromise. For if we compromise with those things, it always comes back to hurt us, doesn't it? And that's exactly what what we're going to read. It happened here, right? The children as overall... They went out and some possessed the land, some kind of just dwelt alongside. And, And in the end... There's the, the tribe of Dan. They didn't even move alongside with the inhabitants. The inhabitants said, no, you're not moving in. There's complete failure. And the, and, and the people of the land drove the Danites up into the mountain. Complete failure. Absolute and complete failure. And so this scene ends in chapter 2, verse 1. After the children of Israel had gone out and attempted to possess the land, some had victory and some had failed miserably. We're reading verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. And we have to pause there. For we have to consider, there the angel of the Lord was at Gilgal. The very same place where, where he met the children of Israel and, and Joshua, there on the other side of the Jordan River. There the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army, stood with his people at center camp. And the Lord remained there through, the, through the, all the campaigns of Joshua. 
and through the campaigns of the children of Israel as they went to possess the land. The sad story is that the children of Israel never went back to Gilgal. For the Lord Himself says He left Gilgal and went where? Where the people were. This place called Bokeh. And that is the lesson for you and I, brothers and sisters. That, that is, that, that's where the rubber meets the road. If we're to have any victory, if we're to have any success in our Christian walk, in our spiritual life, there needs to always be that return to our Lord. There always needs to be that connection with our Lord. That dependency with our Lord. From the moment in which we depend, stop depending upon Him and we, we begin to depend upon our scruples, we'll fall flat in our faces. But thank be to God that our Lord is a patient God, isn't He? He's a gracious God. And He leaves Gilgal and He meets His people at Bokeh. Now, there's a beautiful picture there with the names. The name Gilgal means uh, a place of blessing. Do you know what Bokim means? It actually tells us later in the verse there. In verse 5, And they called the name of that place Bokim. I'm sorry, verse 4. Uh, verse 4 says, So it was that the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, and the people lifted up their voices and wept. Bokim means the place of weeping. See, the Lord left the place of blessing to confront His people. And when He confronted His people, He says to them, Have I not been faithful? Have I not been true to My Word? And yet, look what you've done. You've disobeyed My orders. You've disobeyed what I've commanded you to do. To go and, and, and purge the land of the people and their and, and their altars and their idols and their religious system to purge the land of it. The Lord knows best. But the people, some did and some didn't. Some moved right in. Some rubbed elbow with them. And the Lord says, "Have I been unfaithful? I have been with you every step of the way. I I, I have given you the victories." And yet you disobey me. And the people cry. The people cry in repentance and in sorrow. The Lord says to them, Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be a thorn in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. A little kid quoted the verse this morning. God is not mocked, is He? God is not mocked. Sometimes, a simple truth, you know, God is not mocked, whatever a man soweth, that he shall reap. Sometimes, we seem to forget the simpleness of that truth in our Christian walk. Yes, I am justified before a living God. Yes, my salvation is secure and strong. But there are consequences to my sins. There are consequences to my actions. And, Thank be to God that Hebrews tells us and the Word of God tells us also that the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. Amen.
God is not mocked. And so when the children of Israel repent and cry to the Lord, the Lord says, because you disobeyed, I'm not going to drive them out. And they're going to be that proverbial thorn in the flesh. Ever lingering. Ever pestering. God did it for a reason. He did it for a reason. And we learn about that in chapter 2. At the end of chapter 2. But because of their disobedience, the Lord had to remind them who He was. And He used these nations that were around, that were, remi- that were left behind, to remind His people. And the children wept. And I, and I tell you, brothers and sisters, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very important lesson for you and I. You know, at the, at the beginning of this, of this message, I, I said these stories are, are important and they're for you and I. And, and, and I tell you that these cloud of witnesses are there for you and I to testify to you and I of what occurred in their lifetime and what it took for the Lord to have victory and to save His people. And I, and I tell you, this is terminology we don't necessarily use for believers, but I, I use it for you today, and I use it for myself. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying this just to you. It applies back to me. We look at these stories, we look at these things that happened And if we take heed, we take heed of what goes on here and what the Lord did. We will find salvation in it. We will find ourselves on our knees repenting before the living God. One of the the main themes in the book of Judges is idolatry. Right? And you say, well, we don't live in an idolatrous nation. We don't have temples to idols here in this country. But we do. We're a country filled with idolatry. Idolatry is every, at every turn in our lives. The Apostle John ends his, his, his wonderful epistle to us there in the first epistle of John. He ends the epistle in this way. He says, little children, be careful about those idols. After going on about five chapters about warning them about, about loving the world and the things of this world and, and, and exhorting them to love the Lord and to obey the Lord, he ends his entire epistle by saying, be careful. Be careful with those idols. There's an important lessons to be learned from these stories and judges. And we read one of the main reasons for the failure. The cyclical failure of the book of Judges. In, 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 in Judges chapter 2 it says, uh, we'll begin reading a verse 8. It says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him in the borders of his inheritance at Timnath, Timnath Heres, in the mountain of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. Now listen to verse 10. It says, when all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. The biggest flaw 
or the biggest problem in the book of Judges was this. That every time a generation who had found revival, who had found the Lord, passed away, that second generation did not know the Lord. Now, I, we don't know whether that second generation willingly neglected and rebelled against the, the living God and against the teachings of their fathers, or, or maybe it was that the fathers neglected to teach the children the fear of the Lord. We don't know either. But we do know that they did not know the Lord. It's a stern warning to all of us. Brothers and sisters, it, it, it amazes me how the Lord makes provision for humanity. Right? Back in the, in the book of Joshua, time and time again, the Lord did something as a memorial. He placed stones, 12 humongous stones on the side of the Jordan as a memorial. So that what? So that fathers walking their children down to Jerusalem or down to Gilgal or Shiloh would come across this pile of stones and the kids would ask, what are these stones here for? And, and the father would have the responsibility and the privilege to teach his children the goodness of our Lord. And time and time again, there in Joshua's farewell, as he, as he exhorted the people to, 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 to put away their idols and to follow the living God, he says that he put a big stone under, under an oak tree as a memorial. The Lord gave them every opportunity to teach their children, to teach that next generation. Whether they did or didn't, we don't know. But we know that the second generation did not know the Lord God. And there's a danger in that. You know, Joshua warned the people. He says, listen, you're going to be moving into, into houses you did not build, into fields that you did not plow and plant. You, you're going to have it nice and easy. And, and let, me get, let me tell you what, that second generation that comes in and didn't travel the wilderness, that didn't see the works of the Lord, is born into a nice home, walled cities, food everywhere. They don't seem to appreciate of what the, what the, what the material goods are. They take them for granted. They don't see them as a gift of God. They see them just as their, as their privilege and their benefit. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's, a, it's a reproach and an exhort to my heart. Each generation is responsible for themselves. Each generation is responsible for getting into the Word of God and looking to know the living God. Our brother Sam on Friday nights was talking to the young people about being serious about studying the Word of God and, and searching to know the living God. Every generation is responsible to themselves. No generation is exempt. Every generation has to learn about the Lord anew. They, they have to, to, to know Him afresh. As parents, as grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, aunts, uncles, it is our responsibility to teach these children the fear of the Lord. And as young men, and I speak to myself, it is our responsibility to get to know the living God. For the day in that which we do not, 
It all comes undone, doesn't it? It all comes undone. Every generation has to learn the fear of the Lord. Every generation has to get to know the living God and the importance of it. And we, we see this in the book of Judges time and time again. And I'm out of time. There's a lot more I can say. And I would encourage you to read this book. I would encourage you to study this book. It will be a great benefit to your Christian walk. For in it you find the failures of men. And you find the, the, the total breakdown of a society morally just completely decaying. Yet you see the character of a living God. One of grace, of love and mercy. Who's always willing to, to, to stretch out His hand, despite of how, how horrible the people were, were, were acting, regardless of how rebellious their heart were, when they turned to God in, in, in despair, God answered the call. Time and time again. I pray that our future studies here in this book of of Judges would be beneficial to your heart. And I hope that these lessons would resonate in our heart. I pray that it resonates in my heart as well. For I think of my own children. I, I, you know, it's one thing to, to tell them about the Lord. It's another thing to live the Lord in our lives in front of them. For a generation who just does nothing but hears the words but does not see the walk, what do they have? There has to be a reality of, of God in their lives. I think of my own parents and my grandparents. How they, they displayed the, the, the goodness of God in their lives. They displayed the reality of, of, of God in their lives. That I would see the, 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 the simple things, how God would take care of certain things in, in our lives. We didn't have much growing up, but whenever there was a need, God provided. And my father would say, the Lord provided. It, it wasn't so-and-so gave us money. It was the Lord who gave us. It was the Lord who provided. Instilling the reality and the fear of God in me. Same thing with my grandfather. Who prayed for his children. Never ceased to pray for them. And encourage them in the things of the Lord. Oh, to teach the fear of the Lord to that next generation. And ourselves not to forsake the Lord. It works both ways. To get to know the living God and to, and, and to progress in this walk with our Lord. is to have victory in this life. Yes, the nation as a whole in the book of Judges failed time and time again, but there, were, there was victories there. There was individual victories. Men and women could have victorious lives in the Lord. So I encourage you to seek the Lord.
to get to know the Lord. To know His goodness, to know His love and grace. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, Lord, we thank You. Lord, I I would quote the words of the hymn. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Yet Thou, Lord, has deigned to seal it with Thy Spirit from above. Lord, we are feeble and weak people, Lord. We are carnal, we are... We're spineless, Lord, but Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Every time we fall down, we fall down because of our own doings, Lord, and yet we, we cry to the Lord, we cry to you, Lord, for help, and you're there to stand us back up. Father, let us cling to your hand and solely rely upon thee. Not upon our merits, not upon our wisdom, Lord, but upon thee and thee alone. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.